All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT Network. We got two great guests for you guys. We're going to talk about uh, their amazing movie, All In, The Fight for Democracy. It's about voting rights, uh, and you're going to learn a lot from this interview. Joining me now is Liz Garbus and Lisa Cortez. Uh, Liz is a two-time Oscar nominee, two-time Emmy winner, director. Uh, Lisa Cortez is Academy Award-nominated producer. If I read their credits, it'll take up the whole interview. Uh, so, Liz and Lisa, thank you uh, for joining us. We appreciate it. Hi. Thank you for having us. Uh, absolutely. There's so much to get to here. This is about voting rights. It's also about the Stacey Abrams race. Uh, and uh, it's kind of a twofer in this movie. Um, so I'm going to jump in here with uh, Lisa uh, on the issue of voting rights. So uh, overall, can you tell us just a little bit of the history of how what happened during Reconstruction uh, and then Jim Crow? Uh, because I think that's the building block for the rest of the conversation about what's happening with voting rights today. Well, Jake, I, I think if we're going to talk in about Reconstruction, we have to kind of go in the time machine back a little bit to the inception of our country. You know, and at that time, only 6% of Americans, white men, were eligible to, to vote. And we certainly see progress with the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. And then we have the great promise of Reconstruction, where there are black senators and governors. Um, but the unfortunate part of the struggle for the right to vote in our country is that with progress, there is retrenchment. And after the progress of Reconstruction, you see the rise of violence and intimidation, the Ku Klux Klan, Jim Crow laws, Black Codes, Mississippi Plan. And the focus of all of this is to keep black and brown folks, specifically in this case, African-Americans, from engaging with the franchise. And it really is not until the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965, where we see the promise of engagement with the vote happen for African-Americans. So, uh, you know, that line about retrenchment uh, in the movie comes from Ari Berman, uh, one of my favorite reporters uh, that's uh, featured in the movie. And, um, and when you hear it in that context, you realize, oh, that's what happened after Obama. Uh, and Liz, uh, didn't they actually, in fact, even use Obama winning the presidency as almost an excuse to do a retrenchment of voting rights? Yeah, you know, it's interesting when people talk about what happened in 2016 and they talk about, well, black folks didn't show up for Hillary Clinton in the way that they did for Obama. Um, you know, that ignores the elephant in the room, which is that in 2013, the Supreme Court um, decided the Shelby County versus Holder decision in favor of Shelby County. And what that led to was the decimation of the protections of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that, that Lisa talked about. So you had voter ID laws being passed within 24 hours that states who had been under the guidance of the federal government in terms of when they passed new law, voting laws, they had to seek permission to make sure these laws were not discriminatory. Well, when that went away, 
you know, the fox, uh, you know, I don't know, the fox was in the hen house or that there was just, it was just all the foxes were out and states were able to pass restrictive voter ID laws. There were poll closures that happened, race-based gerrymandering. So we have to look at the history of 2016 differently as it was the first election without those protections. Let's go back again, uh, Lisa, to um the time when the Voting Rights Act passes and, and immediately before that. Because in the movie, you've also got uh, the story of Stacey Abrams, and she tells a story about her grandmother and the first time she was able to vote. When people hear that, they, I think a lot of folks can't quite believe it. Like, really? Somebody who's alive today had a grandmother who was not allowed to vote in her lifetime. So can you explain to folks uh, what the laws were back then that prevented her from voting and what changed? Sure. Well, I mean, there was the unwritten law of violence and intimidation, which was a barrier. But oftentimes, you know, there were literacy tests, there were poll taxes, and these all served as an impediment, you know, for, for accessing the, the franchise. You know, it, what's interesting is all of this is kind of, you know, silent, um, many, much of it, right? If you, uh, if you go uh, to and you're administered this, this literacy test, right? But what happens, you know, on the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday is, is unique because Americans were watching Judgment at Nuremberg. On uh, and they interrupted the broadcast to show uh, what was happening in Selma, and so it put a face on the suppression. It put a face on the violence and the intimidation, and I think that you know it's a unique turning point. And as we're talking about you know the media, it shows actually the power of the media of. Uh, creating a platform for honest uh, presentation of facts of peaceful protesters, and um, certainly that is a, then served as a great impetus for the passage of the subsequent Voting Rights Act. So, Lisa, I, I want to come back to the issue of the media because I, I think, unfortunately, it's such a giant part of uh, the problem, <laughs> let alone the solution. Um, so, but um, when I look at the George Floyd moment, it does remind me a little bit of the Selma moment because here's my take on it. I think white people didn't want to see the discrimination that was happening across the country, but particularly in the South. Did they know in the back of their head that it was happening? Kind of, mostly, but they just didn't want to think about it. They didn't want to see it. And those images shook them out of their complacency in a way that they that made them uncomfortable, but eventually led to change. And and it's, I think similar with George Floyd, in that did, did white folks in this country have a sense that uh, that uh, black people were being abused by police? Yes, at a minimum subconsciously. Uh, but did they want to deny? Yes. Did they uh, actively choose to think about it? No. And I'm doing generalizations here. Obviously, not all white people, but unfortunately enough of a majority that, that no action was ever taken. Uh, but when they saw George Floyd being murdered right in front of their eyes, it was a moment of, no, no, that that's clearly not right. And it turns out 
they this does happen. And so, I mean, in a sense, it's so frustrating that black folks have to tell everybody else in the country nonstop what's happening. And for hundreds of years, they don't get believed. They just don't get believed until people can see it with their own eyes and go, oh, my. Oh, oh, I see. Right. Was that almost a, a, a driving force in making this movie so people can go, oh, oh, I see. Oh, they really. They really would be murdered if they voted. Uh, it's and they that really did happen. Well, you know the what our film aims to do is is to talk about the history of voting rights and voter suppression, and to place. I you know I think all of us are trying to figure out how have we arrived at this moment, um, and. The film provides a framing, it provides a context. You know, what happened to Stacey Abrams in Georgia in 2018 is a part of a bigger power playbook, a bigger historical pattern, which has used suppression to negate the correct representation that the people should have. And, you know, Jen, I'll tell you also, I mean, one of the things, and I've had, you know, a lot of white folks who are seeing the film will say is like, you know, I've heard about some voter suppression, but I sort of thought, oh, it's long lines, you know, people can wait. But when you actually see the kind of organized intentionality to retain power for those in the in the you know in an increasingly diverse America um, for those the, the fear of that is causing this retrenchment and this enforcement of these voter suppression measures on hyperdrive like you saw and I and what I think a lot of white folks watching this just are a little bit blown away in how intentional and widespread it is again Many folks know, and they're enlightened. Um, but you know, just like looking at even the, the lineage of those who are sitting on our Supreme Court, like John Roberts, who for decades has been in the front lines of trying to um, eliminate the power of the Voting Rights Act. You know, this has been decades in the making. The Republicans have been so conscious about the courts, which have enabled a lot of these laws to to come through. Not to mention, you know, what's happened in the Supreme Court itself. So I think what is Stunning here is the intentionality and widespreadness of the something that a lot of at least white folks believed was um, something of our past. Yeah, so that brings us to John Roberts. Um, so John Roberts has got a really nice smile, a really nice family, uh, and he looks pleasant, really pleasant. And so, and he's voted uh, the right way in a couple of important cases with great caveats and asterisks, but. It makes people go, oh, okay, see, no, uh, the right wing can be reasonable and they, they have good intent and we just have honest disagreements from time to time. Um, but first of all, I saw the 2000 Bush v. Gore decision where every right winger on the Supreme Court said, oh, states rights? Did we say states rights? We're just kidding. We don't care at all. We're voting for Bush and all of our principles be damned. We were just totally and utterly lying our entire careers, right? And so with John Roberts, you got the media going, oh, what a swell guy, look at how pleasant he is. But isn't he the one that basically eviscerated the Voting Rights Act? Yeah, I mean, John Roberts was, you know, he was, um, 
he was on the front lines of uh, dismantling the Voting Rights Act for, for decades. I mean, he was responsible for leading the congressional charge prior to being appointed to the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to fact check. Lisa, do you remember exactly what his position was? Because I, I don't want to misspeak. No, but, but certainly we speak to his lineage with with Ryan Chris, and we know that right. Ryan Chris played, you know, was intimidating uh, voters in Arizona in the 60s. Right. Well, so John Roberts comes from the Chief Justice Rehnquist's uh uh, era and what what Lisa is referring to is that in Arizona they had Operation Eagle Eye, which was for Latina voters in Arizona, very much like the Black Codes of the South, in which they had to recite par portions of the Constitution to be able to be uh, eligible to vote. So yeah, Roberts um, had it out for the Voting Rights Act for decades, and you know his ascension on the Supreme Court has been hugely significant in um, disenfranchising hundreds of thousands of Americans. And, and so the minute that they lifted the uh, some portions of the Voting Rights Act that uh, double-checked on the southern states to make sure they weren't discriminating, shockingly enough, it turns out it was almost all southern states that then went on to um, restrict the right to vote in a, now that they were permitted to. Um, I, I've seen the map of it, uh, and it's they're right back at it. Um, so, which then leads me uh, to the media. They look. My my uh, thesis is they suck at their job uh, in a best case scenario um, because they are desperate to call everything even when things are not even. If you were uh, covering voting rights fairly and accurately and objectively, wouldn't you have to say there's no question that the Republican Party wants to make sure that less people vote and they try to take away voting rights from as many people, especially in Democratic uh, demographics, uh, as humanly possible. And everything they use is an excuse to that end and are phantom menaces and, and so, you wouldn't say, well, I can't tell if Brian Kemp is actually uh, purging votes to help his own election. Uh, it, some say he is and some say he's not. You would say, no, he clearly, obviously is. So is the heart of the problem the media that they just don't tell the American people what the reality is? Mm -hmm. Well, I do think we are stuck in a climate of these false equivalences and also, you know, oftentimes of media bending over backwards to make sure that they don't seem like they're not giving the GOP a fair shake. I mean, I think we saw that in the coverage of Hillary Clinton's emails. Um, we see it in some of the coverage of Biden's, you know, very minor gaffes. You know, you we have what this Michael Caputo story from a couple days ago, and he's talking craziness, like utter sheer craziness about, you know, seeing shadows on the ceilings and and talking to, to Americans about getting ready to be uh, armed um, because he's saying Biden is going to steal the election. Um, and, you know, it, and it's so crazy that when you try to kind of report it in the traditional forms, it fails, the, the format fails. Um, I did a series called The Fourth Estate where we embedded at the New York Times um, in the first year of the Trump presidency. And I saw the struggles over the use of the word lie. 
Um, you know, when do you use the word lie? How do you not overuse it so it loses its power? Um, I think four years down the line, we still see people parsing falsehoods, lies. Um, and yes, maybe the word uses its power if you use it, lose it 50 times a day, but we're in a crisis. We're in a crisis of truth and we're in a crisis of democracy. Yeah, and uh, look, I, I get that the mainstream media has finally gathered up the courage four years in uh, to, uh, at times, challenge Donald Trump. Um, but uh, if it's not Trump and it's an establishment Republican, they're going to go right back to hero worship uh, and false equivalencies. And so, Lisa, as you look at the history of voting rights that you guys covered, um, you know, in the beginning, it was the Democratic Party, right? They, they were the party that were the Dixiecrats and the racist party uh, and the segregationists, et cetera. And then obviously, because of the Southern strategy that Nixon used, uh, the parties flipped on this issue and the Republican Party became the one trying to block voting rights. So it's it's not a partisan thing to say it was the Democrats who were the bad guys before and it's the Republicans that are blocking the vote now. Um, but it feels like the New York Times and NPR uh, would be scared out of their mind to say, no, in this issue, the Republicans are clearly wrong. They just, they, they will not ever say that, which then leads people to go, I can't tell. I can't tell you if there's even a problem because the New York Times tells me it's 50-50. Well, I, I think what's important for, for us as filmmakers is to center the history uh, and to light a fuse for people to become engaged and go find out for themselves um, and to use their vote to increase the representation that is reflective of their needs and the needs of their, com of their community. Yeah. So I want people to know about Monsieur Snipes. So Liz, I'm going to ask you about that because I, I need people to understand people died so you could have the right to vote. And so if you just flippantly, casually don't vote, you're really betraying the heroes of the past. So can you tell us a little bit about him? You know, I'll tell you about Maceo Snipes, but I also want to flip the script a little bit after that. So, um, I mean, yeah, Maceo Snipes was a returning an African-American man, a returning World War II celebrated veteran, came back to Georgia and um, he you know, had served his country. He wanted to vote. It was a very important election. Um, he knew very clearly that, you know, what a white supremacist was running and that, you know, his freedom was on the ballot. Um, he shows up at his polling place. There's a sign on the door which says, something to the effect of any Negro who votes, um, it's the last thing you'll ever do. But Maceo says, you know, I fought the fascists, I'm going in. And he casts his vote. He's the only black man in his county to vote that day. He goes home and four or five days later, there's a knock on the door and Maceo is met by an all white firing squad who assassinates him. Um, you know, so Lisa talked a little bit about the poll taxes and the literacy test, but also about the violence, which was used as a form of voter suppression. Um, and, but, and, and, you know, we all, we talk about John Lewis and the sacrifices on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, but I also want to talk about, you know, 
for for young people, you know, the people say it's your responsibility to vote. Look what your ancestors they you know they 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 paid for this right with their blood and their sweat and their tears and their lives, but also to talk about like the positive reasons of why voting is important for them today, not just to honor their ancestors. You know, we may, one election won't change everything. We've got a lot of problems in America and, you know, the, the change in the White House uh, in 2021, while it'll be a relief, will not change all of your problems, right? But on the ballot, you know, there's the top to the bottom of the ballot, right? There's who's in your school board, right? That's the person who's going to be responsible for getting resources to keep your kids safe at school. There's the mayor who's responsible for appointing the police in your community. There's the judge who might be seeing, you know, your cousin and deciding what kind of sentence they need. So I want to also just talk about all the, re you know, the ways that elections really do uh, affect people's lives on a local level. And yeah. you know, Liz, it reminded me of, you know, what Stacy always says, you know, we could protest in the streets and protest at the ballot box. Yeah. Look, the, there's a thousand issues where it can make a difference, but the one that now Biden agrees to is one that progressives have fought for for a long time, $15 minimum wage. And that would literally double the wages of millions of Americans. Double your wages. It's so, I mean, how's that for a positive outcome? Uh, and, and it's not just for minimum wage workers, too. It also, if you fight corporate power, it also helps to increase uh, the wages of the middle class, uh, et cetera. So there's a thousand reasons to vote. Uh, I just wish the Democratic Party uh, would fight harder on this issue. Uh, I wish the media would be more uh, fair and objective instead of politically correct on this issue. Uh, but if you want to find out the real story, uh, watch All In, The Fight for Democracy. Um, and w before we go, w where can they watch it? On Amazon Prime. And you can also go to allinforvoting.com for information about how to become engaged in this election, how to check your registration, uh, allinforvoting.com. All right, great. And if you're watching this later on YouTube or Facebook, we'll put the link in the description box so you can just click on it and, and go there. Liz and Lisa, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jane.